Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Quick intro from me, I'm Graham Wesley. I was the manager of Preston North End between 2012 2013. Left with all sorts of different tags. Um, the one that I didn't seem to wear was uh, tried his heart out in, uh, in favour of the course. But uh, here I am um, facing Jake and uh, all of the many questions he's got for me. Graham, thank you very much for this. Um, I know it's it's been a bit rushed over Christmas, but I really appreciate your time. Normally, I would start with sort of like your, your time in football before management, but obviously time is of the essence, as they say. Um, so obviously injury forced you to retire in, in your 20s. Was that something that made your mind up and made you make the move into management or I know I know you've got business interests outside of football as well was was that a priority and management was just sort of something that came along no I left uh, professional football as a player uh, when I was 19 and uh, I'd had a couple of years at QPR I'd been at Gillingham with Keith Peacock and I had a, uh, another contract on the table but I also had a, a business opportunity and in, in those days being a professional footballer even if you were at the top level uh, was by no means the financially attractive or you know career changing alternative. Um, the Premier League wasn't there, the TV money wasn't around, and you had to think really seriously about professional football. And because I dropped down from QPR in the old First Division uh, to Gillingham, financially it was really difficult. And um, as much as I loved the game and I wanted to get to the top, um, I just had to make practical decisions at that moment in time. So I, I went into business, I took a business opportunity and I played semi-professionally from 19 onwards, um, which broke my heart on the one hand, but on the other gave me a better life than I would have had if I'd have stayed in the, in the game full time. So I played semi-professionally until I was 28. At 28, I broke my leg, you're right. Um, and it was while I was um, sitting at home with the broken leg, I was still going out to work, but you know, I had the broken leg. Um, I saw that my local club, Kingstonian, that I played for, um, had sacked the manager. And I went down and saw Chris Kelly, who was my boss when I played for Kingstonian, and, uh, and said, let me manage. I've managed in business for a lot of years. Um, I've never managed in football. I haven't got my co- coaching qualifications. But, you know, I, I can manage a team. I understand the game. Um, give me a chance. And he did. So I was, you know, literally on, on crutches with a broken leg at the time when I got the job at Kingstonian. Uh, they were at the bottom of the Ryman League. And I managed to get them into the top half of the table between January and May um, and had a really successful time. It was really enjoyable. I loved it. And I got sacked. And the reason I got sacked was there was a change of, man- a change of chairman. Um, the chairman had come in. He was going to put a lot of money in. And he wanted to entrust an experienced manager with that money to go and win promotion. And in fairness, he appointed 
talking to Jeff Chappell from Woking. Um, Jeff was vastly experienced and he did go on and win the Ryman League the following year. So, you know, it was a decision that I didn't like. It broke my heart. I put a lot into the job um, and had a lot of success and got fired. But that was my first venture into, into football management. I did, I did play after that. So um, it wasn't that I never pulled on a pair of boots and retired because of the injury. It was just while I was injured, I took my first job. Having taken that first job, you try getting a job as a player um, with managers who think you're coming in to, to steal their post. So um, it was tough to get back playing after that. And most of what I did after that was play under my own management. You, obviously, after that, you went on, you've had time at other clubs and one of the, the big parts of your managerial career was your successes at Stevenage. How do you reflect on that? Well, I've had, I've had jobs. Managers are, are moments in time uh, at football clubs in the sense that every club at a moment in time needs a certain type of manager. So Kingstonian were rock bottom. Um, they took a gamble on a young, unproven bloke who had loads of energy, loads of enthusiasm. The chief exec, Chris Kelly, uh, knew me. He knew what he'd get from me. He knew I was a straight talker. And I think he felt that that would be good for his group of players. Um, the next moment in time was that summer when I got fired. As I said to you just now, I didn't have the experience that the guy coming in with you know, a, a shed load of cash wanted to spend his money wisely. He didn't want to gamble on a young guy. So managers are moments in time. A, a club needs a certain type of person at a certain moment in time to do a certain job. And um, throughout my managerial career, really, I've, I could look at it and say, well, I've often been in, I felt like I've been in those situations where um, I went into Enfield, a club I'd played at and played really successfully at. I was a quadruple player of the year at that club. And um, I had a very, very short tenure there. Um, the chairman brought me in, um, expecting me to build on um, a squad that had been successful before I arrived there. Um, but it was a squad that was disgruntled. It was a squad that was going backwards. And it was a really tough job with lots and lots of problems in there. And I can't remember how many games I had there, but nowhere near enough. And the reason why I didn't have nowhere near enough games was that he wanted instant success and he wouldn't take anything else. He wouldn't accept there were any other issues that were being faced, anything undermining the team's performance. So, you know, I wasn't prepared to... Um, accept some of the decisions he wanted me to make. I felt that they were wrong decisions. And, um, you know, we moved on. We, did, we, we parted company. So when I look back at my football career, so many of the managerial jobs I've had, um, they've, they've been moments in time where the club needed a certain type of skill set. Um, and, and for one reason or another, you, you part company and, you know, you, you go your separate ways. Um, without it really being anybody's fault. Talk about moments in time there, and obviously your time at North End's very well documented in all sorts of different ways. Um, when when you came in and then when you left, there was a lot of talk after you left about how you were you were sort of tasked with a job of reducing the wage bill and, and coming in and, and clearing the decks almost. Is that the case? Were you sort of given the job on that basis or was there no talk of that and it was just a circumstance of you coming in wanting to make changes yeah, and bring new the, players in? Yeah, the, the club was um, always very clear with me about the fact that, I mean, the club had come down from the championship. They had a championship wage bill and, uh, you know, the, the club needed to reduce his expenditure and nobody was ever dishonest with me about that. I knew that that was the script. 
I knew that that was what I needed to do. Um, there were some big hitting players at the football club. That speaks for itself. There were lads there with some big pasts. Um, and, you know, it, it was inevitable that some of those lads were going to have to depart the club. Nothing to do with me liking them or disliking them as a football talent. Simply a matter of finances. So is it difficult when, you, when your decisions on players um, are being judged on the basis of, oh, well, you can't, you can't rate him as a player? Um, when the reality is it's out of my hands, it's purely financial. Yeah, it's difficult because, you know, people think you can't judge a footballer. People think, well, what's he doing? How, how, could, you, how could you move him out of the club? The, the club had a financial situation that nobody wants to see a club get into difficulty. And as a manager, you've got that responsibility. Um, it's not something that we all talk about all the time, but it's something that's real. You know, we do face those pressures. And... Uh, I think it's important to be honest about it. I think everybody needs to understand, you know, you, you, you've got a fantastic football club backed by the late Mr. Hemmings for so, so long. And he's invested an absolute fortune to get it to where it is. Um, he's been a phenomenal owner of the football club, a phenomenal backer. And my understanding is the family continue to be involved. And it, but it doesn't matter how wealthy you are. There still comes a point in time where you've got to trim your cloth. You can't lose the amount of money you lose when you get relegated from the championship and it have absolutely no bearing on the club. So, yes, there was a job that needed doing. Yes, I understood that that was the job that needed doing. And, yeah, I took some stick for decisions I made um, in order to do the job I was employed to do. But that's life. I, I've never moaned about that, never groaned about it. Um, the job in football is to do the financial bit and win as well, which is tough at times. Yeah. How how did you assess the squad when you first came in? What, what was your sort of take on it? Was there any that, despite the sort of financial constraints that you would have liked to have keep at the club if you could have done? Or was it, were you just very well aware that it was a case of clear the decks and start if fresh I, kind of thing? If I'm, if I'm honest, I think, it, you know, it was so driven by the budget that I had to work to that most of my early thinking had to be around. He can't be a part of it going forward. And that, that was really difficult. And I think if I was going to criticise myself in that stage... I think where I went wrong was probably too honest about that. I think with the players, I was, um, I was pretty clear that they fitted or didn't fit. And I think that was, a, that was probably a mistake. It sounds, sounds daft, really, to say it's a mistake to be too honest. But, you know, in retrospect, you know, I, I should have done my best to just keep things ticking along and, and keep stuff under my hat. Um, maybe a more experienced manager would have kept stuff under his hat. And... Um, I wear my heart on my sleeve a little bit and um, I talked to players. I let them know where they stood. I let them know that they were or weren't part of the future plans. And then, of course, you've got them around um, and they can have an influence. And, and perhaps that was a, an undermining effect in the early stages of my time then. How do you, I mean, they've since been dubbed the Rossendale Six. How do you reflect on that from your point of view? I've had a few of the lads on as guests over, over the years and they've given us all their take on it. What's your take on that? Well, it was it was a really simple situation. There were a number of boys who needed to leave the club. Um, we'd we'd moved on. We'd signed players to you know be part of the squad, and those lads were had, had been given a really clear understanding from me that they weren't going to be part of the future. Not because they were bad players, not because they were bad lads. They just weren't part of the future for for the reasons we've just discussed. And um, I wasn't you know going to have them around the train the the training squad. 
Um, and yeah, they went off to do fitness training while they were waiting to move to their new clubs. And, um, you know, this thing about Rossendale six, did you call them? I didn't remember them as that, but I know what you're talking about. And I think um, that's what they'd been dubbed sort of yeah, after okay. or so, at that so time. I, I can't remember. It's probably where they were training, but you know, I, I found them a, a very good fitness coach who was going to, you know, put them through their paces and put them in a position where wherever they signed, whenever they signed there, they would be fit to play. So they had a tough training regime. Um, it wasn't a punishment. It was an, an investment by the club in professional resources to train them to be ready to play without them being around the new squad that was trying to build into a new team for the new season. So it was nothing personal. Um, it was intended to be a, a professional move. Um, but, but like everything, things get portrayed in all sorts of ways, don't they? You, you signed quite a few different captains from other clubs when you came. Um, I think over the different windows that you were at the club, not all in one necessarily. There was obviously Hunts came in from Yeovil. You brought John Messina with you from Stevenage. Welsh, came in from Tranmere. Was that a conscious thing or was it just players you'd identified and they just happened to be captains and that kind yeah. of personality? Yeah, I mean, may, maybe I'm drawn to leaders. Um, maybe that they've got, you know, big voices, strong voices, strong characters. And maybe I like that. So when I'm watching players, if I see someone who's, who's vocal on the pitch, if I see someone who's, who's dictating play, if I, if I see someone of that ilk, I'm probably attracted to it, you know, as a, as a manager. I like to see that in, in a player. I think it's a waning characteristic nowadays, um, but I do like to see it. So, but it was coincidence. It was nothing to do with them being captains, um, but it, it's probably a measure of the players that they happen to be captains. Yeah, that's fair enough. Do you think, I know obviously we, we touched on Stevenage before and it, it's quite well documented how you operated without wanting to sound too sort of professional, even though you were professional. But the way that you operated at Stevenage was very much akin to the normal working day, sort of like nine to four, nine to five, whatever the hours were. And again, you you brought that with you to North End. Do you do you look back and think maybe trying to introduce that normal working day feel to the club was the right thing to do at North End? Yeah, I think I think the um, this normal working day um, scenario. Not, there's not too often in my um, entire football management career that players have been at the football club from nine till four, nine till five. Um, in fact, I, I was drawn, my attention was drawn to a podcast that an ex-player of mine had uh, put out there where he mentioned a time where the side had been beaten on the weekend. Wasn't one with me, was it? No, no. Um, it wasn't a player from Preston North End. But he, he'd drawn attention to a, a Monday where I'd said to them all, get in at 7.30. Um, you're going you're gonna to experience a life in the day of one of our fans. And I made the squad come in. We were awful on the Saturday. They didn't earn their money, the players. And I brought them in. They were in at half past seven. They cleaned the stadium. Uh, they worked on the reception desk at the club. They worked in the catering department. They worked all around the club doing all the jobs. And they did a full day's work. And... At the end of the full day's work, I sat them down and said to them, that's what our fans do every day of the week in order to pay to come and watch you. That's what they do. When you pull the shirt on on a Saturday, show some respect for the people who do that every day to earn what they earn while you're earning what you're earning. And that message, he was mocking the player. But, you know, that message got into that team. That team went on. It grew off the back of that day. I think that day had an effect on them. Not just the fact that he's made his coming at half seven because we got beat on Saturday. 
I think it went deeper than that. I think they understood what I was trying to say to them. They're in a privileged position and they need to respect it and they need to work for a living. And I believe that. I believe that of professional footballers. I think that asking a player to come in in the morning, do some yoga, do some stretching, do some flexibility work, go in the gym, do some weights, um, give themselves breathing time so they can eat properly, fuel, do their nutrition, go in the team room, do some prep work on the, on the video machine, analyse oppositions that you're about to play, look at strengths and weaknesses of opponents, then get out on the training ground and do some work. I don't think that's too much to ask. I think if you're talking about being professional, then you need to instill that discipline. And that's what my teams have always done. They've not worked from nine till five. That's a myth. It's a story. It's something that got exaggerated at one moment in time and I let it fly. And you know what? Me and my players at the time, we laughed at it. We found it funny because together we built the myth. Um, everybody who played against us, they buckled after 70 minutes because they thought we were so strong because we were working all day. Actually, if I worked players all day long from nine to five, they'd be too tired at the weekend. So I'm not stupid. I'm no fool. And, um, but I was, I was, you know, giving myself and giving the team an advantage. As I say, behind closed doors, we had a lot of fun. Um, opposition managers came, came out and said all sorts of things that they thought we were doing. At one stage, a manager went, went public and said he'd heard we were using voodoo dolls. Um, we never denied it because why would we? But it was, um, and we had a good laugh around it, you know. So listen, when, when we were always normal people, the guys at Stevenage committed an enormous amount to being a great team at a small club. And um, we got there through with a ton of good fun and good spirit. And, um, you know, I said things to them like, oh, yeah, my kids call me medal winner. And um, they used to laugh with me. Uh, they didn't laugh at me, mock me or think I was being serious. Um, and, uh, you know, you live and learn. Different environments have different reactions. Do you think that's something that is transferable to it, like clubs higher up the league? I know without wanting to sound disrespectful like it might be easier to sort of implement that kind of stuff at teams lower down or like semi-professional teams but when you move up the up the leagues do you think that's something that is actually achievable to to sort of implement at a club i think um my time at peterborough was um an absolutely fabulous experience um it went wrong at the end uh but it, it went wrong more because of yeah, clashes between myself and Dara than anything else. And when I say clashes, um, I still speak to Dara now and he's incredibly good with me um, now. And uh, those clashes were just differences of opinion over playing style, over players. Um, he makes no secret of the fact that he wants to have input um, and his input's good, by the way. He's not a chairman who has input and gives you bad opinion. He gives you good opinion. Uh, he knows his stuff. And... Um, but we, we clashed a bit. And, you know, I, I, I'm strong-willed, I'm strong-minded, like my own way. Um, and maybe I could have dealt with him a little bit differently. I, I wish I had, because we were going so well together. Um, we, we, we sold Connor Washington in the, in the January and we didn't get it right in replacing him. It was a very fast-track sale and we couldn't, we couldn't get the replacement in. But I think at Peterborough, higher up than Stevenage, bigger club than Stevenage, um, perhaps not on the scale of, with the history of Preston North End, but you know, a, a club that was competing at the same level at the time and is competing at the same level now, so a championship football club. I think I had that going. I think I had a squad of players who bought in entirely to the regime that I wanted to put in place. They bought into doing a little bit more, doing a little bit extra, you know, doing the extra 10% that it takes to bring the very best out of themselves. They, they bought into a bit of fun. They enjoyed a laugh. They enjoyed a joke. 
um, they weren't um, they weren't looking to you know bring manager or tactics down. They were looking to go with it, buy into it. I remember at one stage we we created a, a theme called quadrilateral football, and all the players talked about it in their interviews. And um, we talked about the rhombus shape and the uh, the square shape, and we talked about the diamond shape and all these different shapes that. Um, we were playing in and people were looking on in bewilderment and bemusement and the lads were having a bit of fun with it in the press. Um, and that was the type of environment that I enjoyed. I think it's great to be serious about your football. You want to get your head down and sweat hard and bleed hard in order to, to succeed. But you've got to wear a smile on your face as well. So we had a little bit of, you know, childish fun, if you like, between ourselves. And uh, that was at a bigger club. And, and the boys really enjoyed themselves. Um, 100% they enjoyed themselves. So... I do think that the best teams, the best clubs, get themselves properly together. Um, you've heard Luke Shaw at the weekend talking about United not all being together right now. So I think at big clubs, it can go wrong. It's clearly not going right there at the moment, huh? But um, at big clubs, bigger clubs, it can go right as well. And um, everybody does buy into a certain type of regime. I've gone dark, haven't I? Someone switched the lights off on me. <laughs> Let me go and switch them back on. Yeah, no worries. No worries. First time that's happened. Oh, there oh, we go. There they are. Um, it's that voodoo working on me. It's <laughs> listening. Um, you mentioned the the obviously now infamous medal winner thing. What what happened there? Talk talk through it from sort of your point of view. Uh, it was a, it was a, a simple um, dressing room conversation, the sort of thing that shouldn't be brought out of a dressing room, um, but it was um, as many things were said right and said wrong. But I mean, it was it was a, a very um, simple thing in a team talk where whatever the conversation was, I said um, to the to the boys with a with a sort of smile on my face. Oh yeah, even my kids call me medal winner. Um, tongue in cheek. Yeah, very much tongue in cheek with a big smile on my face. And um, my kids do now call me medal winner. I've got to tell you that. Um, <laughs> and they say it with a big smile on their cheek. Um, so. It's one of those things that, you know, a moment of, of jest. I can't remember the full context. Um, it really wasn't that important to me. But uh, I was having a bit of banter with them. And uh, it came out as if I was, you know, a guy who stood in front of players telling them that his kids, you know, truly called him medal winner and were lined up every morning to, you know, tell him that before they left home, which um, I can assure you is not the case. Yeah. Um Nicky Rowe, I think, has come out and said about a time that you had the squad pick the best 11 and then you displayed it in tally chart form in front of all the lads. Is that the case? Yeah, I'm sure that would have been the case, yeah. Um, what What's your thinking behind that? Well, I'd, one of the most powerful um, influences, if you've, got, if you've got players knocking on your door and wanting to know why they're not playing, um, a great piece of data, we're all data-driven nowadays, aren't we? A great piece of data is... You know, if you, as, if you as a player in a team are picked by every other player in the squad, you probably reckon that, you know, you're one of the top dogs around the club. But if nobody else around the squad picks you in their team and uh, you're knocking on the manager's door saying, you know, what's going on? It's clearly not like a personal issue, is it? So I think when you, get, when you create data that's created by your players um, and it gives everybody a chance to see how the squad values them, not just how the manager values them, how the squad values them. So if there's 25 players and three put you in their team, then you've got some work to do, haven't you? Vice versa, if you're a lad who gets picked in every single one of the 25 teams, then um, it speaks for itself, huh? So, you know, Roy Keane, I remember 
um, Roy Keane having the best points per game record of any Man United player in his era. When he played in the team, the team did better. And I think any data that points towards the players who are most respected by the other players in the squad, uh, the players who actually achieve results for the team or the football club, I think that data is useful. So, yeah, for that reason, I, I probably would have created that, yeah. What what do you think about getting um, whether it's true or not? Again, it's something that I've heard and I think has been said numerous times. But getting the lads doing imaginary weights. Yeah, I can't remember. Um, I can't remember that. Um, it's the sort of thing I can imagine myself doing. <laughs> and uh, and it, do you know what it what it probably would have been driven by? It would have been driven by one of my fitness coaches, um, and it probably would have been driven by um, him talking about um, movement. Um, how to put movement into bodies uh, without putting strain or stress on them. Um, so the importance of movement and um, the importance of avoiding stress and strain at certain moments in time. So it's probably something down those roads, but I don't remember a specific instance, although I do remember instances across the course of time where a fitness coach would have led me to think like that. So um yeah, again, I, you hear a lot of things, a lot of stories that have a bigger impact on other people than they do on yourself. Yeah. Obviously, there's the, the infamous game at Sheffield Wednesday, Aaron Brown up front and the whole text gate thing as it's been dubbed now. Um, what what was your point of view on all of that? Well, obviously, different. Um, there's different aspects to, to that situation. Uh, one was... The Sheffield Wednesday dugout telling me that my team had been given to them the day before by one of my players, um, and uh, you know that was something that I was unhappy about. It was something that I brought out, something that I didn't think was right, and something that I wanted to get to the bottom of. So um, that's one aspect, and that, to me, that just showed I was trying to show to the fans probably what I was dealing with. I don't, I don't think it's right that. Um, those sorts of things should go on. I think if they do go on, it says something about the dressing room. And um, I wanted people to know that that was the problem that I was going to get in there and sort out for them. And um, that was my thinking behind bringing that out. Aaron playing up front. L- listen, I'd won promotion the previous season with uh, Stevenage out of League Two into League One with a centre-half playing up front, um, Darius Charles. Big, strong lad, backed into centre-halves, held the ball up, won his flick-ons, he did a really solid job. And at that moment in time, um, Aaron was an option. Aaron was that big, strong lad who could back into people, hold the ball up, win his flick-ons. Um, on that particular day, we knew that Sheffield Wednesday were going to be a threat of set pieces. Um, they'd been scoring a lot of goals at sets. And it also gave me an extra player to defend set plays with. So it wasn't a negative move. I've done it, I've done it in the past with Darius and done it really successfully in the past. Um, and in fact, I'd left Stephen that season with Darius playing up front. So um, by no means a negative move, absolutely a positive move and uh, something that didn't work out on the day. We lost the game 2-0, I think. But um, the, the team and the club had been struggling when I arrived, um, making changes, trying things out. It's always been my way. I've got no issue um, with trying things out. And uh, sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. If they work, you're a genius. If they don't, you're a fool. But if you can't take that on the chin then you'll never innovate and you'll never achieve real progression because innovation is always at the heart of real progression. Do you think, looking back, Keith Keane and Scott Laird both getting injured in the same game against Notts County is something that played its part in costing you sort of your time at North End? 
100%. I think that the effect of losing those two on the team um, was devastating. I think that um, I think they were big characters, big influences. Fullbacks were a huge part of the way I wanted to play. Um, and losing those two together, I remember walking away the night after the, the uh, game against Notts County. Number one, gutted for Scotty because, you know, he was on a hospital bed and about to have his leg operated on. Um, but also knowing that our chances of sustaining the good early season form with Joe had just been dealt a really big blow. And I'm not a negative person and I'm always optimistic about the other players I've brought in, but I brought a lot of players in that year. I brought a lot of first team players. If there's a mistake I made is that I brought too many uh, first team players in. You know, at left back, as an example, I brought Dave Buchanan in and I brought um, Scotty in. Both of them terrific players. Terrific. But when I made my decision that Scott was going to start the season, David hadn't joined Preston to play a bit part. David didn't want to be on the sidelines. David didn't like it. And um, he's a tough and a strong character. And he had a point of view about it, understandably. And it was very difficult to manage those very strong-minded players who wanted to be out there on the pitch, who had a strong self-confidence. And I had too many of them around. And because I had too many of them around, I couldn't keep them all happy. And I remember Sir Alex Ferguson one point saying, it's not my job to keep the players happy. It's the players' job to keep me happy. And I probably said that more than once at the time. But at the same time, if you lose some of your players because they're not getting game time and they, they sense that you haven't got that ultimate belief in them, then you've got a real problem, especially if they've got real, real strong characters, as some of mine did. So um, I don't blame them, by the way. I blame myself for making the decision to bring too many strong players in at that time. And, and too many players where the margins in selection terms were very fine. You know, him or him, it was very much a, a heads or tails situation in many instances. And I think that's where I really did get it wrong in building that squad. How do you reflect on your relationship with the media and the fans? Do you think you could have done more to get both or even keep both on side? I honestly don't know. Um, I tried my heart out to get it right, but I clearly got it wrong. So, you know, you when you when you look at it and think, well, you know, what could I do about players leaking stories and fans building up a a mindset around those stories. What could I do about the fact that I was a, a, a London-based manager moving to the Northwest without really a strong media network in the Northwest? Um, I didn't know people. They didn't know me. They were getting to know me and they were hearing stories about me at the same time. So even the media, I think, were doubtful about who they were dealing with and were inclined to, build, to believe the stories. So I kind of started off on a, on a bad footing. There were, there were stories that I got paid compensation for in the early stages that were in the national press, um, where players had leaked things that were patently untrue and they'd been printed. So it was, it was tough. The whole media and fan relationship was tough. Um, I just figured that if I put my head down, worked really, really hard um, and, um, you know, did my best to win football matches, that everything would start to turn around as people got to know the real me. But unfortunately, as you say, that moment happened with Ledy and, and Kino. I didn't really recover after that. We slipped into, you know, the type of form that gets you sacked. And, um, you know, I never found my way back. Do you, do you think it was that, that defining, that moment with uh, Keith and, and Lady? 
I think it, I think it was big, but you know, other big players went out as well. Other players, you no, know, my captain, Massinho, never really got fit at the club. You know, he did that hamstring injury, and he never really got fit. He was never really there to lead the team in the direction that I wanted it led. So there were all sorts. Holmesy did his um, knee at Bournemouth, and suddenly was out for weeks. So I was trying to build a team, and at the same time, big players, lads who were you know intended to play a big part were missing. And you, you read a, a lot of managers talking about cultural architects, people who drag another four or five people with them. If you lose your cultural architects, if they all drop out of contention and they can't play for one reason or another, um, you, you're going you're to struggle. I think any, anybody who loses their big players will struggle. And, um, and I did. And uh, it's, um, is, it, is it that defined? Listen, you can recover from anything, can't you? So, there's no, there's no point saying, well, yeah, it was that moment that killed me. It was my lack of ability to solve the problems I faced after that that killed me. Um, but uh, as I say, I'd never look back at myself at Preston and think uh, I didn't try hard enough. I didn't think and innovate enough. I didn't um, wipe the slate clean and try and start again um, constantly right to the very end. Um, I was doing everything I could to make sure that we turned a corner, but I couldn't quite get there. What's your, what's your favourite memory from North End? I love the Palace win. We knocked Palace out of the cup. They were a championship club at the time and we were a division below them. I love the Palace win for a couple of reasons. Number one in itself, because it's always good to beat a club from a high level. Um, but I love the feel of the stadium that night. People, it was early season. People were optimistic about what this new squad would be able to deliver. And on that night, we delivered the goods. Uh, we produced really good, fast attacking football. Um, we got ahead. We, we, we did it in the right way. Um, we passed the ball well. We were energetic, forward thinking. Um, and then in the second half with, with, a, with the lead, um, we defended resiliently against, you know, the best that they could throw at us. The likes of Zahar, really tormenting. Um, Buchanan and Laird both played that night, I think, down the left-hand side just to seal the deal on the game and, and just squeeze him out. But... Um, yeah, I think that was a that was a good night. I also remember when the club did a special offer and we smacked uh, Hartlepool five nil. Um, it was there were a lot of people in that night, and again there was a, a nice buzz, a nice feel to to the ground. Um, so yeah, I've I've seen Deep Deepdale Rock um, on those occasions. They were they were too few, but uh, what a place to manage and be part of a, a football team. Um, incredible place, one that even though I've been coined there by my own fans, I've still got the most amazing memories. Yeah, that's not good. <laughs> um, well, you know, you know what? I, I look at it differently. I think that passionate people want the when best. When you say coined, club. I assume you mean you've been hit with a coin. Yeah, walking off into yeah, the deep. Yeah. But I, I look at it and think to myself, I'm not going to condone that behaviour, but I condone the passion that lies behind that behaviour. I, I. I I understand that football fans want to win football matches, that the manager's employed to motivate a team, pick a team, select players that are going to go and do the job, you know, have the right tactics. And if you don't get it right, it's going to come at you. And you want to be at a football club where that happens. You want to be at a football club where people really despise you when you don't get the win. And I loved every minute, every single minute of being at that football club. It was a really Really special place to be. The fans were unbelievable. I remember going to Berry. You asked about my, my favourite memories. They, those were a couple of deep down memories. But going to Berry and seeing being in an away ground and seeing us massively outnumber the home fans 
was some feeling. I'd been at Stevenage where, with respect to a club I, I really had great times at, great success at, and I really love, um, that we'd travel with 100 fans. And suddenly I'm managing a football club where we're dominating an opposition in their own backyard. It's just winning there in front of that away, away support um, was another level. Being part of a club that can do that um, was something else. It was, a, it was a dream, being part of it. Do you have any regrets from your time at the club? Yeah, I regret failing um, deeply because I'd have loved to have succeeded. Um, it was an opportunity that I wanted. Um, I could see that it was a football club that could move to the Premier League. I believe that. I still do. I think it, it can. And I'm sure, given time, it will. Um, I, I enjoyed working with the people at the club. Um, Peter was a brilliant guy to work under, to work with. Um, he really was. He you know, he was a money man. He, he had the best interest of the club, club financially at heart. Um, but he was a football man. He loved winning. He couldn't get enough of the bug of winning. He just loves his football. Um, so to have someone who was money focused and football focused and you know, wanted to let you do your job, he was there to support you every step of the way. Um, fantastic. And the owner, uh, Mr. Hemmings, the late Mr. Hemmings, uh, God rest his soul, was, um, was brilliant in the background to Peter in supporting the club and giving it what it needed. So uh, great place to be. Um, fantastic fan base, um, unbelievable stadium, um, history to die for. And uh, yeah, gutted that I, I couldn't bring the success that I so wanted to bring. If you had your time again at North End, was, is there anything you'd do differently? Yeah, lots. Of course. You, it's one of the funny things in football, isn't it? That um, people go to places and fail. And then people, other, other clubs will look on and think, you know, well, we can't give him the opportunity, failed at North End. They don't look at the fact that you've gained so much learning, so much knowledge and so much experience, and you're probably better equipped than ever um, to do that next job. Um, I think that's a, a, a failing of, of the football business, really, is that, and David Moyes is kind of showing that right now, isn't he? That, you know, he's a Preston brawn and bred. He goes to Everton, he's built up a great reputation. He gets his big job and it doesn't quite work out. And then two or three jobs after that, he, he couldn't buy a win, could he? Um, but he's gone to West Ham now and he's, he's clearly learned a lot. He looks a different manager to me. Um, you can see the maturity. You can see the way that he's evolved and the way he's developed. And um, he's pulling up trees with West Ham right now. And uh, long may it continue because it's a, it's a great story. But uh, yeah, there's, there's so much that um, he, anybody who's been through what I've been through at the club, so much that, that I would do differently. And, um, but, you know, there's no point crying over spilt milk. It's learning, it's on board. Um, and I've been a part of, of a brilliant football club. And, you know, that's something I'll always treasure. Last two, my penultimate one. Talk to me about a meta, or however it's pronounced. Attitude is more important than ability. Is that something that you still sort of carry with you or you believe in? Yeah, I think um, I read yesterday, funnily enough, um, a very old um, brochure of Amateur. And uh, the first line that I wrote was, before I start, I want to announce that ability is essential to success. But I believe that attitude is more important than ability. So you get nowhere if you haven't got talent. Nowhere at all. Talent is 100% essential. But if you've got talent and you haven't got a work ethic, a discipline, a desire, a hunger, an ambition, all of the attributes that add up to attitude, then you won't get anywhere. 
and I will believe that till the day I die. I'll change my mind on things. I'll listen to new points of view. But I, till my, to the day I die, I will believe that attitude is the defining characteristic. I think there's a great man who, who I know, um, Daley Thompson. He was um, world Olympic decathlon champion for you know multiple times. And I know him really well. Did some work with Daley in my younger years. And um, if you listen to the work, learning, desire, ambition, motivation, discipline aspects of that person, you'll understand where I'm coming from when I talk about attitude. It's deep-rooted. It comes from real deep inside people when they get to the very, very top. The difference between the best and the rest is very small and massive. It's very small, as in it's a lot of little decisions. It's shall I do an extra minute of weights? Shall I do an extra minute on the treadmill? Shall I do an extra... That little, that little bit extra that the best people do, they don't talk about, you know. They don't go out there and spell it out for people. They just quietly go about their business. With Cristiano Ronaldo, I remember Mike Phelan at Man United when I was doing one of my licenses saying to me, you just won't believe the pressure he puts you under as a coach to improve him every day he comes to the training ground. So I'm awake at night on the internet trying to find things to coach him in the following day, every night. Because if I haven't got something that's going to help him to become the best in the world, He'll have, my, he'll have my guts for garters. So, you know, the very best people, there is something about their attitude that's different, in my opinion, based on the people that I've met who've got to the very, very top. So, um, yeah, I'm a strong believer in it. Last one. What if you could put a five-a-side team together, and I end every episode with this when I have a guest, if you could put a five-a-side team together of players that you work with at North End, who would be in it? Whoa. You could have prepared me for that. That's <laughs> fair. Um, it's not fair to the lads that I'm going to leave out. Um, Coots comes straight to mind. I like Paul Coots as a, as a player. We had um, we had a strange time together because Paul was obviously you know going to be leaving. He was not going to be on his way. Um, he ended up going to Derby. Um, he was a player who I absolutely adored on the field of play. Um, great command of the ball. He had a great character, Cootsy. Um, really strong personality. Um, so I'd have him in there for sure. Um, I'm going to put Lady in there because I love the guy. He's left-sided. Um, what an attitude. Uh, he's not necessarily the most talented player. He'd probably say himself, but he will run over hot coals to win a football match for you. And he does as much going forward as he does coming back. So I think I'd probably slot Lady in there. He'd probably be uh, fuming with you as well if you didn't include him. <laughs> Hey? He'd probably be fuming with you if you didn't include him as well. I'm not doing it for that reason. I'm doing it to be honest. <laughs> um, do you know, up top, nobody nobody really found their feet in my side up top. But the one player who I admired for the way he transitioned, um, oh, it's happened again. What's going on here? Shall I do it in the dark? Just, yeah, I don't put the video out anyway. I just do the just, audio. So if you're happy with the dark. Um, yeah, the one player who, who springs to mind, because I think he transitioned really well and he had a, a, a really good period, is Jack King. Uh, he, he came as a defender midfielder. He, he ended up playing at number 10, if you remember. And uh, King, he, he'd come from Woking. He'd never kicked a professional ball, I don't think. But he was tremendous in the way in which... Um, he went about his work. He held the ball up. He was strong. Wanted to wanted to learn. Wanted to improve. Wanted to get better. So for that reason, I'd probably include Kingy. 
Um, so I've got Kingy holding things up, Cootsie running onto him, Lady steaming up and down that side. I've got to have a goalkeeper, have I? You've got to have a goalkeeper. Well, I mean, you, you could play rush keeper if you wanted. Yeah, I think I might I might go for a rush goalie, I think. I think I'll play Huntington at the back. Um, Paul was someone who I really admired because he, he was a good defender. Um, his aerial ability spoke for itself because, you know, he's got the height and, and he used it and he, he was a brave boy and he competed well. But he was a good footballer. And, you know, one of the things that I believed about Deepdale was that I was going to need a team that could pass from the back. It's a big pitch, the biggest pitch in English football. So I need a team that can pass from that. And you need ball handlers at the back that can give you that platform and get you going. Um, and Hunty was brave. He wanted to get on the ball. He wasn't one of those that showed but didn't want the ball. He, he showed and he did want the ball. And um, I like that. And he's a good athlete um, and he covered ground well. So I'll, I'll, I'll give Hunty the shirt there. Lady on the left, Cootsy, um, Jack King. And then, whew, you know what? I'm going to surprise you probably because he didn't play for me that long. But um, Craig Morgan... I had a lot of time for. I uh, I remember one. Or two, there was a game we needed a result in, and I can't remember which one it was. And he turned to me, looked at me, as if to say, "I'm going to do it for you. You know, trust me. You know, I, whatever's going on, whether I'm staying at the club, leaving the club, whatever. Um, trust me. You know, whether I like your ways, don't like your ways. Trust me, I'll do the job." And he did. And uh, uh, you know, there was kind of a, a respect between myself and Craig. I felt. Um, but I like, he was, a, he was a, a very good defender at the level. And um, he was a man who, if there was a 50-50 needed winning, I'd trust him to go and win it for me. And uh, at the back, you know, that, that last man, remember Brian Clough saying, give me a goalkeeper, a centre-half and a centre-forward and eight players that can run and I'll win you any football match. And uh, he'd be that centre-half. He'd be, a, he'd be a man who, um, who could do that. Now, that's, that name in that side is really disrespectful to every other lad that played for me at the club. And I think if I was a politician, I wouldn't have done it. So um, no disrespect to anybody because uh, there were some really good players at the club during my time. But uh, those were those were good players to work with. Graham, I'll, I'll leave you to have the last word uh, if there's anything you want to say. No, I appreciate um, you showing the interest. I appreciate you opening the door and having a conversation, um, raising questions that um, aren't always going to be easy questions to raise. But... Um, You've done it in a in a humorous way and in a in a nice relaxed way, which is uh, appreciated. And um, I loved Preston North End. Um, I have absolutely no animosity towards anybody for anything in my time at the at the football club. I um, I had a lot of things said about me that weren't true. Um, I, I don't know if everybody feels that I, they gave me a fair crack. Um, I think a lot of judgments were made of me based on myths and um, it didn't work out in the end but I gave my heart and soul to the football club I, I know that um, it wasn't for one to try and I think as you get older and as you get wiser as you get smarter um, you would do the job differently I would do the job differently 100% um, if I had my time all over again but uh, I don't regret a moment of coming north coming to Preston um, brilliant experience great part of my life um, I'll always look back on it very fondly brilliant Graham, thanks very much for your time. Really appreciate it. Cheers, mate. ta Hi, this is Reese E. And you've been listening to From the Finney Podcast. And you can now hear our single, Wise Man. Find us on Spotify, iTunes, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and the town end. Peace and love.